Koinonia, Christian fellowship, communion with God and with fellow Christians. Koinonia, an association of people who share common beliefs and activities. This is Koinonia. This is Community. And now, your host, Tom Brown. Welcome to Koinonia. This is Mark Buckley filling in for Tom today. I hope you're enjoying a beautiful day. This is going to be a special program with me in the studio is Mark Driscoll, formerly of Mars Hill in Seattle, currently founder of Trinity Church in Scottsdale. You're going to enjoy getting to know Mark. I've cons- I consider him a friend, a brother, and I've welcomed him to this valley, and I hope you will too. Mark, thanks so much for being on the program. My pleasure, Pastor Mark. Good to be here with you, buddy. The founder of Trinity Church. How's that sound? You know, it's crazy. We just started three weeks ago. So it is a baby church um, over in Scottsdale right off of uh, East McDonald Road. And so, yeah, three weeks ago we started, and Sunday was our third service ever. And tell so. us how it's going. It's going really well. We moved to the Valley. I've got my wife, Grace. Uh, she's a pastor's daughter, and our five kids. We moved here last July. Um, we opened the door to the truck, and one of my kids said, Dad, you moved us to a pizza oven. So, you know, <laughs> that was our, 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 our foray into the Valley, right. and uh, we've settled in. And then last February, we made an announcement that we felt the Lord calling us to start a church as a family. We had no idea, you know, where we would meet or who would come. And, and then... Uh, Lo and behold, things went really well. So August 7th, we were able to open a renovated old church building that we got. It was formerly the Glass and Garden Church, and uh, wonderful people showed up. We baptized some people. Some people became new Christians. So far, so good. It's actually super encouraging. Well, it ought to be encouraging because you got... Um, what, a thousand people showing up already? Um, well, the opening Sunday, um, we were not quite that many, but um, but we were pretty close and it went really well. And, and attendance has held steady. We're getting ready to start uh, sermon-based small groups in September, getting ready to have our first women's event, our first men's event. Awesome. And so, awesome. yeah, I mean, you got to start everything. You got to find that's people right. to lead worship, people to work with the kids, all that kind of stuff. So that's where we're at. And, and that's a challenge. I mean, starting, my wife told me, uh, when I said one time a couple of years back, I said, well, maybe we'll plant one more church. She says, not with no. me, because <laughs> yeah. this is our second church plant. I mean, yeah. we've I've been I've led teams, but it's one thing to, you know, sort of launch people, get something going. Yeah. It's another thing to plant your family. And I, I think if you're going to be a church planter, you've got to plant your family. And it costs your whole family as well, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. And for us, it's a it's a family adventure. So when I when I started ministry, Grace and I were newly married, had no children. Mm-hmm. Fast forward 20 years, we've got five kids, elementary, junior high, high school, yeah. college. We've been married more than 20 years, and it's just a different season. But it's been really super fun to do it together, and the kids have all been really involved. Involved and the boys did a lot of demo on the building, and awesome. we're all kind of just working together, and, and it's been a family project, which has been a lot of fun. Well, I'm going to talk to you about a bunch of stuff today, and we'll give your address uh, some more during the course of this program. I want to talk about some of the things that are important on your heart in terms of vision and values. Yeah. What are the truths you're going to build your church on? I want to talk, because you've uh, preached all over the United States and around the world, what, what do you see in the body of Christ? What are some of the things that you think need to be emphasized? What are some of the concerns on your heart? And and coming to this valley, not as a, as a rookie, but as a mature man of God, how have you felt welcomed? How have you felt yeah. received? And so we'll be covering a bunch of things, plus whatever the Lord has put on your heart. Cool. Thank you, Mark. Um, 
Before we go any further, though, I want you to just tell us a little bit about Grace and the Kids. Yeah, so uh, I met Grace at the age of 17 in high school, pastor's daughter. We got married at 21, started ministry at 25. She is my nearest and dearest friend. We've been together 28 years, married for 24, and uh, she is a cute, sweet, joyful petite little blonde gal with the world's biggest laugh. So I have a lot of fun with her. Amen and amen. And I also want to commend you on having five children. One time I heard James Dobson say to somebody with five kids, you know, if you're going to dedicate your life to raising children, five is a wonderful number. And I thought, wait a minute, Lord, I got more than that. <laughs> but you know what? There's something about being fruitful and multiplying that God honors, and we'll come back to that in just a moment. I'm Mark Buckley filling in for Tom Brown. Thanks for being with us. Stay tuned. We'll be back with Mark Driscoll in just a moment. Welcome back to Koinonia. This is Mark Buckley. My guest is Mark Driscoll, and Mark is planning, has planted Trinity Church in Scottsdale. He's got his wife, Grace, and five kids. And Mark, as we were going on the break, I was asking you about your family. One of my premises is that when the Lord said, be fruitful and multiply, he meant it as much as it is within our sphere of grace to to multiply in every way. And having five kids, I want to commend you for that. It's a challenge. It's expensive, but it's probably the most fulfilling thing in your life, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, I've got three boys, two girls, um, 10, 12, 14, 17, 19. So I'm on the brink of four teenagers. And uh, honestly, I love being with my family. And I I don't hunt, fish, golf. I've never had a ton of hobbies. We'll change that. Give us some time here. I like hanging out with Grace and the kids. I love going to my boys' baseball games. I like being involved in my children's life. and, And I find that to be sort of the restful replenishing center of life is just being with grace and the kids. And so I know they're not going to be with us forever. And at some point I'm going to be sending them off for you right, know their right. future. But as long as I've got time with them, I want to enjoy it as much as I possibly can. And, and they're great kids. They love the Lord. We have fun as a family. They, they really enjoyed planting the church together. Our dinner table is where we make all the big decisions on branding <laughs> and architecture and all these different issues. And it's been really fun to talk you it all through with the kids. You want a church that your kids want to be a part of, don't you? Yeah. Don't you want a church that they're going to grow up and say, I want to have a church like my dad had when we were kids? Yeah, they said it the other day. They said, this is awesome. We love our church. Yeah. And so it's not my church. It's our church. And my one of my youngest kids asked me the other night over dinner, uh, they asked, uh, am I on the board? Because <laughs> we make all the decisions over the dinner table, I say, "Well, you're not on the board, but you're you're very influential around here." Right, you know? right, <laughs> yeah. Um, which is really what life is all about. It's it's about influence. I was reading a book recently, and and uh, the author was saying, you know, Christians are always pushing to to establish a party or to to put in a new president, but in reality, the kingdom of God advances through influence, and we should be seeking the Lord for wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, which gives us influence. And if you have influence, you don't have to be in control. Yeah, and the truth is, nobody's in control but the Lord. It's all an illusion. We all labor under this illusion that we have a lot more control even over our own lives and destiny than we actually do. Um, So, yeah. And I think that's one reason why people sometimes don't want to have more kids is two kids you can barely control 
three, you can't control. Yeah, then you're on zone defense. Yeah, yeah. you're on zone. But <laughs> yeah. there's something really healthy about being in over your head. That's the life of faith. The just will live by faith. That means you're trusting God, even though you can't see how every bill will be paid or every crisis managed, you're living by faith. Yeah, and trying to help the children figure out kind of who they are and who God made them to be and trying to coordinate their future. Our oldest is a sophomore in college now. So we're in that, you know, boys are wanting to come over and meet me. And, you know, it's just that it's, it feels like it happened so fast. I can still remember taking my wife, Grace, out on our first date, and now I got boys calling me up, hey, I'd like to talk to you, Mark. I'm like, okay, we're on the other side now. It's a little weird, but but it's enjoyable, and it's a, it's an honor to walk with the kids through the seasons and stages of life, and as they get older, you, you get those deep, meaningful conversations, and, and it's an honor to be there and help navigate that future with them. So it's I, I love it. To be honest, with you, I love being a dad. It's good. When my oldest daughter um, had her first boyfriend, she said, Dad, you scare him. He thinks you can look right through him. Perfect. And I said, tell him it's the truth. Yeah, tell him to tell all his friends. That's the way it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Mark, I want to hear some of the, the vision and values that you're building into the disciples at Trinity. Yeah. So, I mean, all the information is at thetrinitychurch.com, which is crazy. We go to plant and thetrinitychurch.com is a domain that's available. That's amazing. And we took the name from Grace's mom and dad. Her daddy was a pastor, planted a church, pastored there 40 some years. And so Grace was born into that church. And, uh, ministry family. I uh, received a, a really nice Bible from that church that I got saved actually reading, became a Christian, preached my first sermons from that Bible, preached my first sermon ever in that little church. And so uh, he since passed away. And so we wanted to honor her mom and dad yeah. by naming the church after the church that they had pastored for 40 some years. And so it was a great honor to have my mother-in-law, who I love very much. We're really close. She was there for opening Sunday and she's Wonderful. down visiting quite a bit. And so, yeah, just trying to honor that legacy of great family history and ministry. And so our kids doing it now. So it kind of feels like, you know, third generation of ministry, um, honoring Grace's family and legacy. So for us, we like to say uh, we open our Bibles to learn. So we're, you know, we love the scriptures and we want to open the scriptures and learn about the Lord. And we say that we open our lives to love. So really Bible teaching and relationships, we like to say are the two pedals on our bike. And uh, I know that's not a new idea, but it's one that's been working for thousands of years. We're going to go with it. Let's, let's hear from the Lord and do life together in relationship and, and, and friendship. And so really that's, it's pretty simple, but it's, Sunday services, and then we're getting ready to start uh, the small groups all over the valley that will allow those relationships to get formed and people to do life together. So that's now. That, how are you going to uh, structure the small groups? You said you're going to be sermon based. Tell us about that. Yeah, I tend to be a. I'm a book of the Bible guy, so I tend to preach through books of the Bible. So right now we're going through Jonah, a fishy tale about a faithful God, and that'll end here in a few weeks. And then we'll jump into the book of Ruth, which is one of the great love stories of the Old Testament. And uh, Boaz is just a great single guy. And, you know, Ruth is a uh, a widowed, you know, single gal, and it's this great epic love story. And so we like to go through books of the Bible as a general rule. And then in small groups, people can discuss that section of the scriptures and apply it to their own lives and have meals together. And and really, you know, what's interesting in Phoenix, it's a new city. It's the sixth largest, soon to be the fourth largest city in America. A quarter million people are moving here from all over the country and world. And a lot of people don't have any relationships. They don't have any history. They don't have any family or friends. And so 
our hope would be that those those small groups scattered throughout neighborhoods across the valley would be a, a welcoming, hospitable, kind, loving, you know, beginning of relationships for those people that are in the process of relocating to the valley. That's right. Small groups, in my opinion, are absolutely essential for the health of a church because, as you said, you've got to we're called to be doers of the word. If we're not doing the word, if we're not loving one another, if we're yeah. not building relationships, if nobody really knows your name, nobody knows when you're sick, nobody knows when you're struggling, you're not taking advantage of what Jesus made for all of us, which is a body, a family. Yeah. We need it. We need it. All of us. Well, especially now today when, you know, a lot of families have had divorce and right. fractures and now people are moving and relocating and they're in an area like the greater Phoenix Valley where they're brand new and their their family history is not here. I mean, those are people that are feeling really alone and isolated. Right. And if you're trying to figure out who should I marry or if I'm married, you know, how do we raise these kids or how do we work out our marital differences or whatever the case may be? If you're all by yourself, it's very lonely. It could be very depressing and very isolating. Yep. And and so, you know, we're, we're glad to be here. We love the Valley and we've met some extraordinarily loving, wonderful people. I, I can honestly say, I think I've gotten more hugs in the last year than any year of my life. And so... Um, it's a funny feeling though, isn't it? When you go from a place where you're well-known to a place where you can go almost anywhere and people don't know who you are. It's so it's, great. It's, it's really It's different. so great. <laughs> yeah, it's so great. And so, yeah, we, we love that. And, you know, it just, it, it allows us to be a normal family doing yeah. normal ministry and normal life. And uh, honestly, we've thoroughly enjoyed it. And it's been a great transition. And um, and we were sitting around the other day just praying as a family, you know, what are you guys most thankful for? Because we moved here a right. year ago. And uh, over and over and over, uh, the kids and Grace and I, we love the church family. We love the people that we've met. We love the, the warmth and the n- normalcy that we've enjoyed. So, I mean, it's been a really great transition for our family. We're really, really, really grateful. Well, congratulations, man. Now, you've had battles. You've had wars and rumors of wars. Yeah. What have you learned? What, what, are, what are you saying to the Lord? Okay, Lord, help me stay healthy. Help this church establish a legacy so that it's going to be here in 50 years, Yeah. and we pass it on to the next yeah. generation. What, what What do you feel like the Lord's saying along those lines? I mean, a lot of things, but one of them is, I think pastors still need a pastor. Yeah. And I think sometimes when you're the senior leader in an organization or if you're in leadership, maybe you're pastoring people, you're loving people, you're leading people, you're serving people. But do you have a pastor, somebody who knows you, knows your spouse, right. knows your kids, loves you, is there for you, um, can help you before you make mistakes to be wise counsel and, and to be emotionally supportive? And, and I tell you, the, the, the more recent few years of our life, Grace and I have had some extraordinarily wonderful people that are pastors and, and their families love us, know us, know our children, are intimately involved. And uh, it's just been a tremendous blessing. I mean, we had, uh, we had one of them, one of these couples come in and spend the weekend with us this last weekend and come over for dinner and check in on the kids. How are you kids doing? How can we pray for you? How are you feeling? Grace, how are you doing with the plant? How's Mark doing? And you know, the relationship with yeah. you. And it's, it's just nice. Um, because oftentimes I know a lot of pastors who don't have a pastor. Right. Um, and, and we have a, a handful of people that we look to in that role. 
And it's just been super helpful, super encouraging, super healing. People that are older, their grandparents, they're in that next season and phase of life. And so, you know, for any of the senior leaders or leaders that are out there that are in a position of pastoring, but don't have someone that is really a pastor in their life, I would say that's just incredibly important because everybody needs a pastor, including the pastor. That's right. I mean, we are in a family. And if you don't take advantage of the resources, the wisdom and knowledge yeah. of God that is present, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt you. For those of you who are listening, it takes time to build relationships. Yeah. It, but we've got time. We've got time to do it right. So you're getting your people into the Word. And one of the things that just grieves me is when I realize people have been following Jesus for 10 or 15 years, never read through the whole Bible, never once read through the whole Bible. That that breaks my heart because then I know they're vulnerable. Somebody can say anything off the wall and say, well, it's in the Bible. And if you've never read it, you might not remember it all, but you would know if that particular thing was in there. It's amazing. I mean, even talking to people that do know the Lord and, and have right. known the Lord for a long time. I just ask the basic question, like, how's your Bible reading and your prayer time? And if they're married, it's how's your prayer time with your spouse? Right. And very rarely do I hear anyone say, I do regular Bible reading and I pray or I pray with my spouse. It's very rare. And I mean, those two things are sort of absolutely essential. It's like, you know, exercise, diet, sleep, hydration. There's a couple of things if you don't do physically, you're not going to be well. If you're not reading the Bible, praying for others, praying with others, your health spiritually is going to decline very, very rapidly until it's a a pain point or a crisis. Amen and amen. Um, My guest is Mark Driscoll, and he's planting Trinity Church here in Scottsdale. We're going to be talking with him about what he sees across the body of Christ in the nation. And if he was going to talk with President Obama, what would he say? When we come back, stay tuned. This is Mark Buckley at Koinonia. Welcome back to Koinonia. Mark Driscoll's my guest. Mark, you've traveled around the country. You've preached in tons of different kinds of churches. How do you feel about the overall health of the body of Christ? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, certain denominations and groups are really flourishing. Others are really struggling. It seems like those that, uh, you know, love the Holy Spirit, love the scriptures, focus on Jesus, tend to flourish. And those who, you know, sort of get... Um, more focused on other things or are struggling. I mean, my heart has always been particularly for young men. God saved me when I was 19 in college. And, um, and I've always had a heart for young men. And if you look across the country, I mean, I think the one slice that's missing, regardless of whatever church or group you're in is primarily young men. So the least likely person to go to church is a, is a young man who's single. Yeah. And uh, and then in order to reach those guys, a lot of churches are starting to compromise. They're they're not preaching the whole gospel. They're they're eliminating you know moral issues, which to me is the bedrock of Christianity. If we say it's a Holy Spirit, He's a holy God, yeah. and Christ died to shed His blood. He didn't do it because 
we could go either way on moral issues. Yeah, and, and, and young men are struggling. I mean, for the first time in the nation's history, you know, there are more women than men in college, more women than men in church, more women than men in the workforce. The only place that there's really more men than women is prison. And so, you know, there's a lot of work to be done. I think I think all pastors would agree that that this lack of young men loving Jesus, being in church, you know, conducting themselves in an honorable way toward women and thinking toward their future responsibly. I mean, that is a a massive, significant issue because younger men tend to go to church until they graduate from high school, and then they kind of disappear until they're married and their wife drags them back. So it was their mom who took them, and then their wife brings them back. But in the middle, they're creating a lot of problems for themselves. And they're also, you know, they're having children they're not intending raising. They're with women that they don't intend to love. And so it creates a lot of pain and suffering and a lot of the social Social issues are the result of, of sort of that gap. Um, I went to Mars Hill Church one time in Seattle, and I remember the message you were preaching from 1 Corinthians 7, and you were, uh, you know, you had been preaching through 1 Corinthians, and 5, it talks about holding the church accountable for a godly lifestyle. 6, it warns us that, you know, he who uh, unites himself to a prostitute becomes one flesh, and, and he who sins sexually sins against his own body. And 7, it warns us to, to either build a godly marriage or not. And you got up and you said... Some of you are here with your girlfriends. You're not. You're having sex with them. You're not married. You need to break up tonight. Tonight. And I, I was so blessed by that because your church was filled with you know tattooed guys that looked like they that you could have found them in a nightclub or something, and they were there on a Sunday night, the, your fifth service of the day, and yet there was no compromise in the message you were preaching. I appreciate that encouragement, Pastor Mark. I'm a Bible teacher. I love the Bible. I love to teach through books of the Bible. And if you preach through books of the Bible, you're going to hit some issues that mm, maybe you wouldn't have picked, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Um, it's going to stir some Yeah, you up. find the grenades or the pins pulled by yeah. just preaching through books of the Bible. Um, but for me, I mean, I, I feel like um, my job is to be God's messenger, not God's editor. Mm-hmm. And not that everything I say is perfect. And there's right. there's things as an older man that I wouldn't have I would say differently than I did as a younger man and those kind of things. But nonetheless, it's just like, well, if this is what the Bible says, I want to present what the Bible says. And if people reject the message of the Bible, then that leaves room for God, the Holy Spirit, to to work in their hearts and to see if he can change their minds. Uh, but at, at the end of the day, as a, as a, as a Christian pastor, if, if there's not a love and a faith in the authority of God's word, then I don't know what else we have. Right. I mean, if the Bible doesn't work, what I, I don't, I mean, we should just, you know, go home. I don't know what else we have as an opportunity. Mark, don't you think the whole question of love is where a lot of the confusion lies? Some people think it's more loving to accept people the way they are, where the Bible says it's loving to command people to repent so that they can have eternal life. It's not really loving to allow an alcoholic to keep on, uh, affirm him in his alcoholism. It's not loving to allow an immoral relationship to go on because you don't want to get somebody upset with you. Yeah, I always say God loves you so much that he takes you as you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay as you are. Mm -hmm. And that's my experience. I mean, you know, Jesus accepted me with all of my faults, flaws, failures, and sins. Mm -hmm. And then his love began to transform and to change me. It's like my wife, Grace. I mean, after Jesus, the most loving person in my life is my wife, Grace, and her love for me has changed me. Right. 
It's changed me. And so the kindness of God leads us to repentance. Absolutely. And the mercy of our wives. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the, the patient endurance <laughs> of my best friend, Grace. And so when you're in a loving relationship with someone, their love accepts you as you are, but it also begins to change you. You become different. And so as I understand, you know, the Bible, that God is our father and his love is like a, a father who adopts a kid and then begins to parent them so that they can mature and grow and change. And so, um, you know, I think in a, in a day when a lot of people didn't have a dad or don't have a good dad, that view of God might be confusing. But I think it's particularly liberating and helpful that, that God's a father. He'll adopt you just like you are. But if he's going to be your dad, there's going to be some change in your life right. because he loves you so much. He wants to get you off. And that he path. will discipline you. He disciplines every son that he receives. Yeah, and if we don't embrace the discipline of God, then we're not his son. We're illegitimate. It yeah. says we either get, you know, it's like he doesn't discipline the kids down the block, but he disciplines. us. Well, any good parent, I mean, the most unloving thing you can do as a parent is only ever and always say the word yes. Mm-hmm. Then you really don't love your yeah. kid. Yeah. You know, sometimes as a parent, you say no. And sometimes as a parent, you say, well, that's later, you know, when you get older or at some other point. And, and God loves us enough and he, he has enough affection for us. He's willing to tell us no and later. And, and at the time, we may not enjoy that. But we need to understand that even if we're grown adults or 60, 70, 80 years of age in relation to God, we're still kids. You know, we still think we know more than we know, and we still think that we're wiser than we are, and, 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 and God's gracious enough to walk patiently with us and to help us. And, and I appreciate his patience with me. I appreciate his forbearance with me. And uh, I'm definitely not where I was when I met the Lord. And by God's grace, in 20 years, I won't be where I'm at today. That's right. Along those lines, I, I remember in 1994, I'm 44 years old, and uh, I had a, ended up having a breakdown from doing too many things, you know, yeah. radio, TV, writing, traveling, pastoring, and trying to save the world for Jesus. And in later years, my wife let me know at, when I asked her that that was more painful for her than the death of our son oh, wow. because chaos came into our family. And, and I had to literally go into a treatment center and stuff like that, which I said my goal was I want to be healthy because I owe it to my wife. I owe it to my kids. I want my kids to know that I finished well. And I don't want to put our church through that again, which by the grace of God, we got through. But um, the discipline of the Lord sometimes comes to the people that are trying their hardest to do what's right. And it's not because we're not loved. It's because he loves us so much. He's not going to let us go on the rest of our life with patterns that that aren't healthy. Yeah, and when it says, like in 1 John 4, 10, that God is love, I just take that to mean that everything that he is working in my life is motivated by love. And I have to believe that even if I'm not instantly feeling that. And even if things come that aren't from the Lord, um, you know, things that are that are evil or, or what have you, and there are people that are listening and they've, they've suffered injustices or, or really bad, horrible things have been done to them, that God is still loving and still will use that for their good. And it's it's really trusting in the goodness and the love and the, and the Father heart of God in the middle of all of the difficulty and trial that gets you to the other side. It's when you run away from the Lord or you become embittered against the Lord that things don't heal very quickly and they don't improve very deeply. Why do you think a lot of pastors are caving on moral issues? I think that a lot of pastors that I know are overworked, exhausted, overwhelmed. I mean, most pastors are working a a large number of hours and 
the the personal crises that come in from the people that they love in the congregation means that evenings and weekends and days off and anything that looks like a, a rhythm is almost impossible to maintain. I think they're under great social pressure. I think they're under great pressure from social media. I think a, a lot of ministry leaders find themselves a little bit just completely snowed under and overwhelmed, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. And, um, and And so they let things go. They don't then hold people accountable in their congregations, and then oftentimes they're compromising in their lives too because they're trying to escape some of the dysfunction that is from an out-of-balance life. Yeah, and and sometimes too um, they're in denominations, organizations, networks that— that they're in conflict with their own leadership, and and sometimes the decisions are made upstream by those in authority over you, and policies are made, or you know theological issues are considered that you don't agree with, and so I mean there's a, it is a, it is an age where things are changing very 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 quickly, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of pastors, quite frankly, are just feeling a little overwhelmed at the pace of change and the the nature of the issues and the conflict that comes with that, and. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm wondering, you know, what the what the longevity is for a lot of pastors. You know, is this the kind of job that you can do for 30, 40, 50 years under the present demands and expectations mm-hmm. and requirements? Um, you know, it, it'll be telling to see. But a lot of people that I know, they're they're transitioning out of pastoral ministry just because the the emotional, physical toll that it takes on them and their family. Well, you know. Uh- in the Word of God, there's conflict throughout. It starts in Genesis all the way through Revelation. And a lot of believers, I think, think that when, they're, um, when they have conflict in the local church, well, this church is screwed up, so I'm going to go to a different church. And then something happens in the next church, and then they're disillusioned, and pretty soon they're not going to church anywhere. Conflict isn't always bad, is it? I mean, it's part of what it takes to inherit the land. It's Part of what it takes to to get free from the the world, the flesh, and the devil. Um, how have you navigated conflict in a positive way in your life? Well, I think you know if you look at um, your church, you know we use a lot of the language of a church family, and so every family is going to have conflict. I mean, you can have just a family with you and your spouse, and right. there's still going to be conflict. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, and so. But the issue is, you know, the conflict is an opportunity to really build the relationship and to increase the trust, depending upon how the conflict is handled. So like with Grace and our Grace and myself and our five kids, you know, the conflict, the disagreements that that might happen in our home. I, I, I mean, I don't think I necessarily thought this way as a younger man, but now that my kids are older and you got to let them express themselves, you got to let them express themselves. You got to let them speak from the heart. You got to let them sort of verbally process and work it out. You need to absorb that, pray about it, consider it, love them, see what part you can own in your own faults, failures and flaws. But I think um, any real relationship that has any significance or depth at some point is going to have some conflict and something to work through because something matters in that relationship. Yes. And if you love one another, it really does matter, and we're commanded to love one another. My guest is Mark Driscoll. We're going to be back, and I said that I was going to ask him what he would say to President Obama. That'll be my first question to Mark Driscoll when we return. Stay tuned. This is Koinonia Faith Talk 1360.
Welcome back to Koinonia. My guest is Mark Driscoll. Mark, if you were sitting down with President Obama in his oh office this afternoon, oh boy, what are some of the things you'd want to talk to? Oh, him hold about? on, let me let me let me get the airbag out. Um, <laughs> you know, honestly, um, I have a heart for his children. I mean, yeah. now that I'm a dad and I've got five kids and I'm on the brink of four teenagers, I just think of raising children, let alone daughters, under that much scrutiny, danger. Um, you know, I was uh, hearing about one of his daughters has got a, a job, you know, at a restaurant this right. summer, just doing what teenage kids do. And I'm thinking, she's That's probably wonderful. It's wonderful. It gets awesome. But she's probably got like social, you know, or secret service there and, yeah. you know, armed guard and just how difficult it must be to navigate those those years that are complicated enough all right. by themselves right. without the spotlight and the scrutiny and the safety issues. So, I mean, if I, I don't think I'll ever have a chance to talk to somebody who's that noteworthy, but I would want to talk to him about being a dad and how I could be praying for their children and what they are learning about being a dad. And, and my heart really goes out to those girls. They're in a, they're in a difficult position. And, uh, and as a dad, you just, yeah, I pray a lot. Honestly, I pray a lot for his daughters. That's awesome. That that blesses me. You know, when I've asked the Lord, how did we get in our current political situation with the two candidates we have? One of the things that comes to my heart is that so many people have developed such a negative attitude towards our president, like he's the devil, that it's like, okay, you think this is bad. You know, it's like we've believed a lie. We, we, you, you can, we should be able to disagree with somebody's political position without demonizing them. Well, and I think when the Bible tells us to pray for our leaders, part of that is as we're talking to the Lord, it keeps us from gossip. It keeps, keeps us from just raging and venting. You know, the yeah. Lord kind of serves yeah. as our lightning rod if we're yeah. frustrated. And also, um, it softens our heart and hopefully keeps us compassionate toward our leadership. Um, you know, and and so, you know, I think everybody who feels frustrated, the Bible says to pray for those who are in leadership. Right. And maybe that's the best place to start processing it with the Lord, working out with the Lord, guarding our own heart, checking yeah. our own motives. Because and if you're praying for somebody with intensity, you're probably not going to be their biggest critic, right? Well, for me, I, I find that prayer prayer is not something that God needs. It's something that I need. Yeah. <laughs> and And prayer is not where I, you know, sort of give God his job description, and then he goes to work for me. It's where the Lord really convicts me and changes my heart and sort of reveals whether I'm in a good place toward others or not. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I I, I don't... uh, Let's talk about that for just a minute. How do you navigate it? Because you've taken a lot of shots. Uh, We all, everybody in leadership takes some shots. You know, you can, I, I remember recently I was, had preached a sermon, flew to California. I was doing uh, ministry over there, and and then I get a call from somebody in the church who just wants to tell me why they didn't like my sermon. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, thanks, appreciate this. But how do you guard your heart when you take shots um, from brothers? Yeah, I I was reading. Uh, there's a really good biography. Um, I think it's called The Leadership Secrets of Billy Graham. Years ago. And uh, there's a section in there where it talks about how Billy was able to turn his critics into coaches. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that I'm particularly good at this, but I thought that Billy had a good idea. And so it's like when a criticism comes, um, you know, 
I think for most of us, our first inclination is to be defensive and, right. you know, to sort of push back. Mm-hmm. And, and what it said about Billy was he would take time to consider it and to see if there was anything truthful or helpful in it, even if it wasn't entirely truthful or helpful, or maybe the motive that was coming toward the criticism mm-hmm. of Billy was not all that pure. He would still use it as an opportunity to grow as a leader. And I, I was really convicted by that. And I thought, yeah, I guess... I guess there is something very significant there that if if someone cares enough to give a critique, then, you know, in as much as we're able to at least consider and ask, is there something in here that that the Lord would have me to receive to make me into a a better leader and and perhaps a more humble, empathetic, compassionate, loving person? And and oftentimes there is, quite frankly. And so, um, you know, I'm not saying that I've I'm particularly skilled at that, but it was something that I thought was a, a good insight. Now, did you wrestle in high school or anything like that? I played uh, baseball. I love baseball. Mm-hmm. My three boys are all baseball players, so being here in the Valley is super yeah, fun. Yeah. And then uh, I played a little bit of football as well. So, yep. Because you look, I mean, you look like a wrestler. You you look like a guy who could do MMA if you wanted to. I'm short and stocky with an 18-inch <laughs> neck and a shrek size head. So, yeah, whatever that build works for, that's me. Yeah. Um, so we're commanded to love one another, and, and I believe that as we love one another, that's what, what melts people's hearts, allows spiritual gifts to flow, allows the life of Christ, the resources of the Lord. Um, and, and you're going to build a new community now. Give, so people know how to reach you. Give us your address again. Yeah, so it's thetrinitychurch.com. And thank you, Pastor Mark, for allowing me to come and dialogue with you. And we got the old Glass and Garden historic, mm-hmm. quirky, mid-century modern church right off of the 101 at, uh, at the McDonald Road exit. So we're at 8620 East McDonald Road. We're right by the Salt River Fields and mm-hmm. And, and and that. And so we're, we're very blessed to be there. God provided a great church home. We were able to do renovations. We love it there. And so, yeah, we meet twice on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 and all the information's at thetrinitychurch.com. And our little logo is, uh, you know, we open our Bibles to learn and we open our lives to love. And so it's really Bible teaching and relationships that are, as we say, kind of the two pedals on our bike. That's that's what we're, we're focused on. Amen and amen. And you're teaching right now through Jonah, you said. I'm teaching through Jonah. It's a funny, quirky story. And and, uh, and then I'll get into the book of Ruth after that, which is an epic, amazing Cinderella love story from the Old Testament. So well, I, I love the book of Jonah. I mean, the guy was on an assignment he didn't want. He was running away from the Lord. I, when, when I would tell my kids the story of Jonah, um, I would talk to them about him being in the belly of the fish yeah. and, um, and, and the seaweed floating around. And yep. I, I was in uh, Wales one time doing some street evangelism, and a guy uh, said, do you believe the Bible? And I said, yeah, I believe it's true. He goes, do you believe the story of Jonah? I said, yeah, I, I think it really happened. He said, come with me. So he takes me to a fishing trawler in the harbor of Colwyn Bay, Wales. Nice. And he pulls out of his wallet an article about a guy who was whaling off the coast of Argentina who was fell overboard and the next day when they caught a whale and cut it open, the guy was alive in there. He was white as a sheep, <laughs> but he was alive. So it was only like a 24-hour Jonah experience. Yeah. But this guy was looking for somebody who actually believed 
the Bible. And so he was challenged. You believe the Bible. You believe Jonah. And when I said yes, he said, come with me. That's awesome. Know? And, and uh, it, was a, it was a great experience for me. Yeah. And some, you know, on Jonah, Jesus says in Matthew 12 that as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days, three nights, so the Son of Man would be in the earth three days, three nights. And so he says Jonah was real. And like Jonah was in the fish, he was going to be in the grave. And like Jonah came forth, Jesus said that he would come forth. So, I mean, I can't find anybody with a better resume for, you know, biblical interpretation than Jesus. So, I, right. you know. That's right. Jesus believed the story. He totally did. <laughs> he the story. Yeah. And, and I think there's something that happens emotionally when we read the Old Testament. Uh, when I read 1 Samuel the first time, I, it, it really shook me because I had been a peace-loving, groovy hippie, and I'm reading about guys like Eli, whose sons were in rebellion and they died, and Samuel, yeah. who was a prophet, sons in rebellion and they died. And I realized there's really consequences for sin. The, the God, yeah. some people think God was in a bad mood until he finally had a son, you know, in the New Testament. But it's the same God, and it's it's the story of the consequences of sin and the blessing for when we obey. Yeah, and that God would send his son so that he might endure the wrath that we deserve. Um, it's remarkable. I mean, I've got three sons, and mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine sending one of my sons to suffer in the place of one of my enemies. That's for darn sure. Yeah, and That's that is the great love of God. It's it's just it is scandalous. It's it's good news and and when you first hear it it's it's disorienting news. It's like God God loves his enemies to such a degree that he would he would put his son in their place. That's that's unbelievable. Mark preach the gospel for us couple minutes. Well, I'm happy to. I mean, the story of the Bible is that God made us to be in relationship with him, and we have rebelled against him. We have run from him. We have rejected him. We have sought to create an identity and live a life that is apart from him. And God knew that that would lead only to death and to destruction and to devastation. And so God, in great love, pursued us. He came as the Lord Jesus Christ. He lived the life we have not lived the life without sin. He died the death that we should have died, the death for sin. And he rose to give the gift that we cannot earn, the gift of salvation. And so really it ultimately all comes down to Jesus. And it's not about morality or spirituality. It is ultimately about the Lord Jesus Christ, that he says he is God. He says he is Savior. He says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but by him. And so all of human history and all of Scripture comes ultimately down to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And, and, and he asked this great question, who do you say that I am? And that's the question that every human being needs to answer for themselves. Who do you say that Jesus Christ is? And if it's anyone or anything other than God and Savior and Lord, then you do not have a relationship with him in this life, and you will not have a relationship with him in the eternal life. Um, But the good news is, no matter who you are or what you've done, he's willing to forgive you, love you, embrace you, serve you, pursue you, forgive you, and care for you. And so it is that great affection, that love, that grace, that mercy, that compassion of Jesus that just absolutely draws and compels us toward him. And so for those who are listening and maybe you've been hurt by church or some Christian is disappointed, used or abused you, don't let that be your only understanding of the person and work of Jesus to overcome whatever pain you may have suffered at the hands of those who claim to be his people. We're all a work in progress and to bring 
bring those hurts to him for healing and don't reject Jesus for for any other reason other than the fact that you just simply um, are unwilling to get time to get to know him. And so I think the easiest way to get to know Jesus is just start reading the Bible, let him speak for himself. And I always encourage people start in the book of Luke and just keep reading after that. See who Jesus is, see what Jesus says, see what Jesus does, and find some people who believe in him and have conversations about him with them. Mm-hmm. Amen and amen. My guest is Mark Driscoll. And uh, he's been planting Trinity Church, preaching the gospel here in the valley. And if you get a chance to visit Trinity Church, I know you'll enjoy it. We'll give you their uh, website when we come back from this break. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this message. Welcome back to Koinonia. We're wrapping up with Mark Driscoll. Mark, give us your uh, church address, service times one more time. Yeah, thank you, Pastor Mark. Uh, TheTrinityChurch.com is uh, the website, and uh, at TheTrinityChurch.com, you can get most of your questions answered. We meet every Sunday, 9 and 1045 at 8620 East McDonald Road in Scottsdale, right over by the Salt River Fields. We're, We're right off the 101 there, so... Awesome. Now, are you doing any writing these days? You've written a lot of books over the years. Yeah, with the church plant, it has sort of been a little bit all-consuming. We had a lot of work to do on this old building. It's a 50-year-old historic, and so we threw away more than 20 dumpsters of trash. My boys and I demoed walls and ripped out old carpet, and it's been a family project. Will you be able to write that story one of these days? Yeah, so it's been super fun. So, yeah, the church just launched three weeks ago, so then, then the people show up, and then it's been all about, you know, meeting the people and loving the people yeah. and getting to know the people and starting to build those isn't, relationships. Isn't it interesting when you move from one city where you've been for 20 some years to another, when you start seeing people that remind you, they have a different, slightly different face and a different name, but the same spirit as yeah. people in another city. Sometimes yeah. it's like, oh yeah. And sometimes it's like, oh, oh. <laughs> right? Yeah. Thankfully not had a lot of, oh, so far it's been pretty positive. But you get yeah. that discernment, don't yeah, you? Yeah, you do, you do, you do. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams. My guest has been Mark Driscoll. I want to thank you for being with us thank today. Thank you, buddy. Yeah, Mark is a blessing, he, and I, I hope you get a chance to stop by Trinity Church and welcome him and his family to the valley. If you want to visit us at Living Stream sometime, we're at Central and Glendale, 915 and 11, and uh, you can look us up on the web at livingstreams.org. Wherever you are, be faithful to your local church. Give faithfully to your church. Pray for your pastor. Serve the Lord by loving one another in the body of Christ, and you, as you abide in Christ, will bear fruit that remains. God bless you. Thanks for listening today. See you later.